Join us on this episode as we talk about mentally healthy and thriving workplaces, what the factors of mentally healthy and thriving workplaces are, some of the psychosocial hazards that workplaces might have and how to mitigate and manage them. Welcome to the Workplace Wellbeing Natters podcast, wellbeing that works for the health and community services sector. Hello, I'm Linda. I'd like to acknowledge that I'm on the land of the Gunai Kurnai people, pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging. My pronouns are she, her. I'm a facilitator, coach and trainer, specialising in workplace wellbeing with nearly 30 years experience in the health and community services sector. And hello, I'm Danielle. I'd like to acknowledge that I'm on the land of the Gunai Kurnai people also. And my pronouns are she, her. I'm a wellbeing specialist, a psychology student, and I'm passionate about all things wellbeing. In this episode, we're exploring mentally healthy workplaces and thriving workplaces. So what are they? What's the difference between them? And what do they mean for us in the health and community services sector? And so we offer definitions of mentally healthy and thriving workplaces in episode one. We're going to expand on them in this episode and consider some examples from current frameworks as well. So let's start with mentally healthy workplaces because it's difficult to thrive in a workplace if it isn't first and foremost a mentally healthy place to be. So what then is a mentally healthy workplace? Well, Linda, there's no single or one definition of a mentally healthy workplace. So let's talk through a couple of definitions and approaches that are current and relevant in Australia. We will start with the description from our first podcast episode that comes from Heads Up in the Mentally Healthy Workplace Alliance who suggests that mentally healthy workplaces have four things in common. So, Linda, did you want to take us through those again? Absolutely. So, if you're a regular listener, you might remember these from episode one. So, number one is that the workplace has a positive workplace culture. So, this is where people feel good about coming to work and where we encourage and support everyone. And the second is that they manage stress and other risks to mental health. So they take action to minimise and manage risk factors such as too little or too heavy workloads, unrealistic deadlines, poor communication and uncertainty. And they also support people with mental health conditions. So firstly, that's to create an environment where people feel they can share if they have a mental health condition, then to support people to develop a plan that helps them stay at work or return to work. And of course, from a person-centered approach, this is a collaborative process and tailored to each person. So without making assumptions about what someone might need. And the last thing they have in common is they have a zero tolerance approach to discrimination. So they protect people from discrimination and take action to provide an inclusive and fair culture. And of course, the four elements work together to contribute to a mentally healthy workplace. And Danielle, we also have a comparison, the uh, Queensland Workplace Health and Safety Agency. So they offer another description. They describe a mentally healthy workplace as one that promotes workplace practices that support positive mental health. Uh, It eliminates and minimises psychological health and safety risks by identifying and assessing psychological hazards. 
It supports the recovery of workers returning after a physical or psychological injury. And is free from stigma and discrimination. And builds the knowledge, skills and capabilities of workers to be resilient and thrive at work. So we can see that there's several similarities between those two definitions. So they both promote practices and culture to support positive mental health. They both focus on minimising risks to mental or psychological health. They both include freedom from stigma and discrimination, and they both look at supporting the recovery of people with a mental health condition. Yeah, they're both pretty close together, aren't they? They are. I think the Workplace Health and Safety Queensland definition has an additional element, though, that's not really spelt out in the first description, and that's to build the knowledge, skills and capabilities of people to be resilient and thrive at work. So, I think that's a new, quite an important element. What do you think, Danielle? Yeah, absolutely. It is an important element. Um, but I have a little hesitancy when talking about um, resiliency at work, just kind of in terms of uh, wanting to give people the skills and capabilities to cope with things as opposed to wanting to look at the kind of the impact of the workplace and what those kind of environmental factors are. So I think it's great. It just needs to be used with caution. I agree. Absolutely. And there's also many definitions of resilience as well. And that's something that we'll probably tackle in a future episode. I think really what we're tapping into here, though, is that everyone plays a part in creating a healthy and safe workplace, irrespective of their role at work. Yeah, exactly. And so mentally healthy workplaces also take a whole of workplace approach and consider changes that might be needed at a primary, secondary and tertiary levels of intervention. And if you're anything like me, you completely forgot what all of these mean. Uh, So just got a quick refresh for those of us um, who might not have either learned about them or have forgotten. So primary, secondary, tertiary levels of intervention are health prevention, health promotion strategies. Yep. So primary focuses on preventing something from happening. Secondary is about identifying it early to prevent it getting worse. And tertiary is around supporting recovery. And so if we think about this in a workplace context and we look at some guidance from WorkSafe Victoria, they suggest that primary interventions are for all people to address workplace risk factors and to promote protective factors. So this might look like having a positive work culture and a zero tolerance approach to discrimination. Absolutely. And secondary interventions are for people who may already be at risk, so they might be a little more vulnerable And it's around intervening early and changing the way people respond to risks. So an example of that might be managing stress and other risks to mental health as well. And then finally, the tertiary interventions uh, focus on people experiencing mental injury or illness to reduce the impact and support recovery. So that might look like supporting people with mental health conditions to stay at work or return to work. Absolutely. And if we dig a little deeper, in 2021, the National Mental Health Commission released the blueprint for mentally healthy workplaces. We did also give you a quick overview of these in episode one as well. So the three pillars of mentally healthy workplaces are protect. So that's around identifying and managing work-related risks to mental health. Respond. So that's building capacity to identify and respond to support people experiencing mental ill health or distress. And our third and final one is promote. So recognising and enhancing the positive aspects of work that contribute to good mental health. 
And might be thinking like this sounds familiar. Uh, and it is because the definitions or the descriptions that we've looked at just previously all have some combination of these three elements in them with some variation. So let's look further into each of these pillars, starting with protect. So remembering that this is to identify and manage work-related risks. So we all know that prevention is better than cure. Healthy workplaces help keep people well and support us to be our best. So in September 2020, the Health and Community Services Union did a safety audit and the results suggest that poor communication, psychological stresses, physical safety and having to adapt to constant changes, especially when people feel there's not enough support, impact people at work, as did the wage impacts of COVID-19. Yeah, absolutely. I think COVID-19 has impacted a lot of the ways that we work. So the good communication, enough resources and support from colleagues and leaders can help to protect mental health at work and helps minimise some of these risks, as can developing the skills or capacity of each person to respond to stresses, noting the caution that we just mentioned before, remembering that we all contribute to being well at work. So let's see what this might look like in practice. So if we take poor communication and information flow in teams as an example, and think about what actions could help. So a primary intervention might be to modify the communication strategies and processes and also to review the work design. And the secondary intervention could be developing strategies to improve each person's ability to cope. And a tertiary intervention then could be the way the workplace supports someone to stay at work or to return to work, someone who might be experiencing a mental health condition. So if we move on to the second pillar, which is respond, so that's about building capacity to identify and respond to support people experiencing mental ill health or distress. What might a primary intervention look like, Danielle? So that could be you know, doing something to improve the workplace culture to reduce stigma and norms around disclosure. So it's about opening up a conversation about mental health and illness or providing training on what mental health means and what mental illnesses mean as well. So a secondary intervention might be to build the mental health literacy and develop skills for early intervention. And that's also around promoting help seeking as well. So again, this could include training. It might be about displaying posters on helpful strategies around the workplace and generally educating people on the benefits of early help seeking. And so a tertiary might be to develop clear roles and responsibilities to support people who are experiencing mental health conditions. Some workplaces have mental health first aid offices in the same way they have first aid offices. They might also have clear roles around who has to stay at work or return to work conversations. And I know you're a huge fan and a expert leader in mental health first aid, Linda. So maybe you've got something to say about that as well. I do. Thanks, Danielle. I just want to give a shout out for mental health first aid. So as you've stated, I am a master mental health first aid instructor, so I am biased. I do think mental health first aid training fits really well here. It helps to reduce stigma, increase mental health literacy, and it also develops skills and knowledge for supporting someone experiencing a mental health condition. So it really has an application for both at the primary and secondary level. And it's a really simple strategy for workplaces to take and it can make a difference to how we work together to enhance our health and safety. I also really love that it's evidence-based. So 
There are a number of training options, of course. So if you are looking at training, consider the evidence base and the qualifications or accreditations of the person delivering the training just to get the best fit for your workplace. And, you know, likewise, if you're engaging people with lived experience as speakers, which is also a great strategy for improving mental health literacy, consider whether they're appropriately trained and supported to tell their stories in a way that's safe, both for themselves as well as for others. All right, that's it. Thanks for indulging me there. <laughs> of course. I've um, done mental health first aid training twice now and once with you, Linda, and I can definitely recommend it. But back to our pillars, we're up to promote. And so that's about recognising and enhancing the positive aspects of work that contribute to good mental health. So primary intervention, Linda, what might that look like for promote? So that might be around developing knowledge and skills in positive approaches. So looking at developing a workplace wellbeing program or demonstrating positive leadership practices could include modelling what good self-care looks like might also being around looking at how to support people to align their role with their strengths. And a secondary intervention here might be to put in place additional support and resources when needed. So if you've got some short-term increase in job demands, making sure people are supported through that. And if there's been an exposure to a potential trauma, making sure people have the necessary support after that happens as well. A tertiary intervention might be to make sure people are provided access to support their recovery, such as counselling through an employee assistance program or promoting support networks within the workplace. Could also include having people with specialised skills needed to support people in their return to work. And so what each of these three pillars look like will be different depending on a whole range of factors, for instance, the role a person has. So as we know, the community service sector has so many different roles, Linda. Absolutely. So some are nine to five uh, office-based roles. For instance, you might be in a support coordination or a HR, human resources role. Others can involve shift work, either within a residential setting or within an acute setting. Or you might even work one-to-one with individuals or groups in the community, so as a disability support worker or a district nurse. Or you could have contact with community members as a local laws officer. So what each of these pillars look like and feel like will need to be tailored to each role as the risks might be different. And how to promote the positive aspects of work may be different too. So it's important to work together to identify potential risks and develop strategies to keep people well. Exactly. And hopefully we're all starting to see why we need mentally healthy workplaces and the value that they have. And so the need is especially important in the health and community services sector. WorkSafe Victoria, the government agency responsible for overseeing health and safety at work, released their mental health strategy uh, in 2021, and that runs for three years through to 2024. And they identify healthcare and social assistance as one of their priority industries. Absolutely. And according to the strategy, the healthcare and social assistance industry is around about 14% of working Victorians yet it accounts for 29% of all mental injury claims. Uh, So that was the claims that were reported in 2020. So you can see the claims are double the percentage of the population. Yeah, and they go on to say, Linda, that around 85% of those claims were stress-related. And so that's things like work-related harassment or workplace bullying coming in at the highest set, you know, more than 50%. And then work pressure and other mental stress factors as well, both around 14%. So they're pretty big numbers. They are big numbers and they also identify frontline workers and ageing workforce as priority employee groups. So 
we know that there is an aging workforce within the industry as well. So we can see there's multiple priorities there for the health and community services sector. Yeah, and I think it just kind of goes to show why, you know, mentally healthy workplaces and workplace wellbeing is so important. And I think they also had some interesting data around thriving workplaces too. Is that right, Linda? They do. And that's a perfect segue. I think we've given mentally healthy workplaces a good go. So let's get a feel for thriving workplaces. So you might remember we said in our first episode that Superfriend described workplaces as environments where people can do their best and be their best. So thriving workplaces promote positive mental health and well-being of all people who participate in that workplace and they include workers, leaders, contractors and consultants as well. And I love that definition. As a consultant, I like that the definition is inclusive. So it includes everyone within the workplace as well as those who interact with the workplace, such as contractors and consultants. And another definition coming from the Curtin University's Thrive at Work framework, and we're paraphrasing here, is that in a thriving organisation, the mental health of all employees is protected and supporting, and that work is more than just a place to survive each day. Good work provides opportunities for meaning, connection, learning and growth, which support people to thrive. And if I reflect back on my career, I can certainly identify times when I've just been surviving at work. And my guess is that others have too. So I really like the sense of meaning, connection and growth that this definition provides. And I'm nodding along here um, with you, Linda, which our listeners won't be able to see. I'm definitely nodding because I've definitely felt as well that I've survived in positions at work. And I've also been really grateful to have opportunities where I've thrived as well. So if we think back to the three pillars of mentally healthy workplaces, so that is to protect, respond and promote, it's interesting that the Curtin University Thrive at Work framework also has three pillars. So what are their three pillars, Danielle? Well, the first one is mitigate illness which is about monitor, accommodate and treat illness, injury and ill health. And the second one is about preventing harm. And so that's minimising harm and protecting against risk. And the third one is about promoting thriving, optimising wellbeing and generating future capabilities. So we can see already that there are similarities between the two frameworks. And the Thrive at Work framework, the three pillars actually have three building blocks. So mitigate illness has the building blocks of detect, support and accommodate illness. The prevent harm pillar includes the building blocks of increasing job resources, reducing job demands and increasing resilience and coping. And the third and final pillar, Promote Thriving, includes creating conditions for performance, connection and growth as well. So we can see that there's a blend of both the workplace strategies as well as individual strategies. So again, we see that there's that shared contribution towards well-being in the workplace. Definitely all those layers there, the building blocks of strategies. Uh, it's a bit like an onion, uh, you know, as the saying goes, there are layers to peel away. But I think the big takeaway here is that thriving builds on a mentally healthy workplace elements to create those conditions for connection, growth and performance. So we might circle back then to Superfriend. We talked about Superfriend earlier on. And let's have a look at their research on the indicators of thriving workplaces. So they've been doing this research since 2018 every year. And the recently released 2021 Indicators of Thriving Workplaces report has some interesting data on the health and social services sector. Yeah, and so just a recap, according to their model, a thriving workplace is achieved by aligning activities across the domains of leadership, 
connectedness, policy, capability, and culture. And so just a, a quick recap on these, that leadership is about people leaders working with their teams using strength-based coaching mindset, where they're positive role models and set an example for what a healthy and productive workplace behaviors and interactions look like. And connectedness is about having positive, high-quality connections that are essential for positive mental health and well-being. Capability is about supporting positive mental health and well-being by building and applying people's capabilities and skills. And culture is having a positive workplace culture, which is essential to both the individual and workplace performance as well. And I think we might have missed policy there, which was my bad. I skipped over that one. So (laughs) policy is about workplace systems and processes that drive the development of mental health focused workplace policy. So the report showed that during 2021, across all industries, so the research covers 19 industries in Australia, and what it showed was that the level of workplace mental health and well-being surprisingly increased marginally. So this is both overall and also in each of the five domains separately. But when we look at the data for the healthcare and social services industry, we can see we ranked 13 of 19 industries, so below the average. The level of mental health and well-being reduced by 1.6 points overall compared to 2020. That's kind of more in line with what I would have expected given the year of 2019 and 2020. I found it quite surprising to see that you know thriving has gone up. Surprising and pleasing that thriving has gone up in some industries as well. Yeah, that's true. So the level of thriving reduced in four of the five domains. So it reduced in leadership, connectedness, capability and culture. We did hold steady in the policy domain. And there's been some small increases even in frontline workers accessing confidential counselling and also feeling more resourced by their team leaders. So, you know, that's a good outcome. Through the pandemic, we have seen people accessing more mental health support. So I wonder if that's kind of a byproduct of that. Could be, absolutely. But the biggest risk factors were reported as inappropriate workload, low recognition, poor change management poor management support and low job control, which we know you know, is quite prevalent in the health and community services sector. And I think the good news here is that there are practical steps that we can all take to reduce the risks and to promote a mentally healthy and thriving workplace. So, you know, we've spoken about many of those steps today. So, for example, creating a culture of recognition and reviewing workloads as well. Wow, we've packed a lot into this episode, Linda. So let's do a quick recap of our Natarines. First, we spoke about mentally healthy workplaces and the four things they have in common. Positive workplace culture. They manage stress and other risks to mental health. They support people with mental health conditions and they have a zero tolerance approach to discrimination. We then went on to explore the three pillars of mentally healthy workplaces. So that is protect, respond and promote. And we looked at examples of primary, secondary and tertiary activities in each of those pillars. And then we finished up just now talking about thriving workplaces and sharing the data from the Superfriend Indicators of Thriving Workplace Report. So we've so loved connecting with you and sharing insights into mentally healthy and thriving workplaces. And in our show notes, we'll have any links that may support your journey toward workplace wellbeing. We want to know what you think or have been inspired by or any questions you would like answered or any contributions you'd like to make to the podcast. So 
Leave us a review or contact us via matters at workplacewellbeingnatters.com.au. We'd love to hear how we can help you on your journey or if you'd like to submit a case study or comment for us to include in our podcast, please reach out. We look forward to next time when we'll be discussing workplace mental health protective and risk factors and how to promote the positive in more detail. Thanks for joining us. Bye for now.